there, I'm Charlie O'Shields, and welcome back to another episode of Sketching Stuff. This one is another little collection of life lessons I've learned while regrettably growing old, but happily managing to never grow up. Oh, and in case you missed it, I just published a Sketching Stuff book. It contains familiar stories heard here along with 25 pages of new rambles and over 180 black and white illustrations. If you'd prefer color versions, just grab the ebook and view it on a color screen. It's available now on Amazon in all formats. Simply visit sketchingstuff.com for the link. If you've followed along this far, you're quite aware that I'm all about listening to my inner child. And though I've learned a lot as an adult, there were many wonderful experiences as a kid that made me the adult I am today. And keeping that childlike curiosity alive in everything I do has made life so much more enjoyable. So sit back and relax as we enjoy some of those little lessons from childhood. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. My favorite kid's food. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things that my sister made for me was broccoli and cheese. I was too young to remember, but my mom and sister assure me that I used to always request this dish while referring to broccoli as little trees. What I do remember is that I preferred the softer tops of the trees more than the hard stalks at the bottom. Also, the cheese sticks better to the crown, so that was an added bonus. I think the cheese at the time was Velveeta, that bizarre yellow-orange stuff in a box that doesn't have to be refrigerated because it's not actually cheese at all, just a mixture of preservatives. But it was a perfect way to disguise veggies so that little American kids like me would actually eat them. Philippe makes an adult version of this with real ingredients and it's delicious. When he passes the box cheese in the store, he still makes a wincing sound as though an actual physical pain. Having not had actual processed food in so long, this would likely be the case if we were ever to consume any of the stuff, so we just pass by it in horrid fascination. Once, while we were in the grocery, I pointed out a can of Spam and mentioned I used to have it fried on sandwiches. He winced again and asked what it's made from. I told him nobody really knows, and that's why it's so weird. As a kid, I was convinced it was unicorn meat, which was equal parts disgusting and magically delicious. It's strange to grow up eating things that, as a sensible adult, you wouldn't possibly consume anymore. All the flavors of my childhood are really just a distant memory. I occasionally wonder what it would be like to sample some of those foods I used to eat. Would it bring back memories so wonderful it's worth risking the painful indigestion? Probably not. I think most of it tastes better locked in my imagination. I'm a fan of real food these days, so those American foodstuff inventions are no longer on the menu. But in those quiet moments, I think back to that time when garishly colored lukewarm cheese was simply the coolest thing on the planet. Provided, of course, it was served on top of a few little trees. Learning to Fly Many of you who read my full posts, captions, or listen to this podcast might know that when I was a kid, I wished I had the ability to fly. This is something I'm pretty sure many, many kids have dreamt about at some point. 
As I grew older, however, in a fit of pure irony, I developed a fear of heights. Standing on top of a tall building makes me go weak in the knees, and I don't like getting too close to the edge. Philippe knows this well, as on trips to the top of tall buildings in New York, I nearly clawed his arm off. I find it fascinating that this is a fear that only developed in adulthood. As a kid, I had no such worries and could climb the tallest of trees, and once got in trouble for climbing onto the roof of our house. Back then, I wasn't scared of consequences so much as being impossibly eager to experience a fresh perspective. Over time, I've built an encyclopedia of consequences in my life. Things I tried and failed at miserably, and things I simply produced embarrassing results with. While these things are a wonderful guide to avoid repeating really dumb mistakes, they're also a hindrance. Were I a baby bird with that level of knowledge, I would have never left the tree. While I do think having a rational mindset is helpful, I think that finding a balance is an even better plan. Sometimes my rational mind can grow so loud and tedious I almost shout out loud in order to shut it off. For example, when my mind tells me that what I'm currently doing is basically stupid and should be avoided at all costs, I take a moment to pause. Before simply submitting to my militant mental companion, I ask myself a few questions first. The most important question is whether or not the thing I'm currently doing is exactly like the thing I did before. Even identical twins possess unique traits that can cause one to be more successful than the other. Before abandoning an idea on similarity, I force myself to consider it in full. After all, it's entirely possible that that little distinction that makes this idea just slightly different might be the very thing that will make it successful on this go-around. And fortunately, the only way to know for sure is to go ahead and simply attempt it. As much as I talk about the power of doing things and practice doing them myself, I still have moments where I'm left confused. Times where the path seems quite exciting but full of fog and not particularly clear. Choosing what path to take in life is no small undertaking. Heading down one path versus another will produce a story with an entirely different ending. What I've learned along the way, though, is that I have yet another ability that guides me. This one is simply called hope. It's wildly imprecise and a bit fallible, but I often find it to be the best guide on my journey. If I believe that something will happen, there's a far better chance that it actually might, that a dream might actually come true. Unlike my rational mind, the mind that hopes is capable of believing anything is possible. And that's the mindset that makes incredible things happen. It feels revolutionary as an adult, but it's simply the same mind we all had when we were young, clutching that branch of a tree before learning to fly. The Joy of Going Nowhere When I was a little kid, going to parks was a total joy. Though I loved the little swing sets and of course the slide, I was mostly a fan of the little creatures on a spring that you could hop on and take for a ride. The ride itself was really just up and down and sometimes a precarious sideways as they were hopefully firmly planted in the ground. It was perfectly ridiculous and completely satisfying. I could imagine a million places I might be heading to on that little springy animal, including fantastic places from my dreams. 
No matter the destination, getting there was all of the fun. As I grew up, I traded in the bouncy ride for bouncing in my seat during class at school and imagining I was somewhere else. Teachers told me to sit still, and I assumed I had attention deficit problems. I totally did, but in my defense, I wanted to learn things faster and was growing bored. One teacher finally recognized this, and everything would change for me from that day forward. I was plucked out of my regular grade school classes a few days a week to work on my own projects. These were called independent studies, and I could choose a topic of my choice to learn about each semester. This was back in the days before medications were even considered an option. My problem wasn't really a problem at all. I was just highly creative, and my mind worked a bit differently than the majority of the other kids. Had there been other options, my mom probably wouldn't have explored them. She rather enjoyed the fact that I was a bit different. It made me seem more special. But it takes a special sort of mom to deal with all of that. I wasn't unruly, I just imagined a different world, a magical world that I loved to explore in my mind. In that world, I could do anything I set my mind to, and there were no limits. I love those grade school years and remember them fondly, and today I'm still happily bouncing from one thing to the next. And I feel totally grateful that nobody tried to make my brain function just like everyone else's, but just let me be myself. We're born such fabulous and creative creatures, yet step by step we risk losing that in an effort to fit in. Sure, we must join in and be a functioning part of society at some point, but there's little point in removing our own individuality to make that happen. This is the very thing that makes us so important to society in the first place. Life would be terribly boring were it only a sea of clones. The ability to imagine things that aren't there isn't necessarily a sign of insanity. It can also simply be the young artist's mind at work. You might find him bouncing on a little metal animal and painting impossible pictures in his mind of places he's not even visited yet, perhaps even places that don't really exist at all. But maybe they should. When we're artists, we get to choose. And in those moments of circular imagining, we can reconnect with and even wink at our inner child as others think we're only oddly reveling in the joy of going nowhere. look after this bear. I once sketched my absolute favorite bear from childhood, Paddington Bear. This one came straight from the 70s simplicity pattern 8223. Today I think this pattern number refers to knitted tops with Disney appliques, and it's the one that my mother actually made for me. Well, not just for me, as she sold them in craft shows, but for me and many other happy adults and children in our little city. Though the first book about this bear was published in the late 50s, the first soft toys weren't made until the early 1970s, in the exact year that I was born. So the stuffed animal version of Paddington Bear and I are precisely the same age and have sort of grown up together. As much as I love the bear, however, the real added magic to the Paddington stories came from me and the illustrations of Peggy Fortnum, who passed away last year at the age of 96. The illustrations in those books were so incredibly endearing, and Miss Fortnum's sparse, whimsical, and energetic line work made the characters jump to life with personality. 
I think this had to be the first time I fell in love with drawing as I found it magical that a few scratches of ink could create so much personality and story. Later, other artists would splash some color onto her drawings, including her own niece, and we would get to see his signature blue coat. I longed to create drawings like hers and one day grow up and illustrate a book of my own characters, but I never took the time to learn or really practice illustration and would just scribble and get frustrated that things weren't turning out like I envisioned them. Now, over 40 years later, I'm finally illustrating my stories, but in a slightly different way. I still get frustrated, but the adult me has learned the beauty and reward of the journey. For any of you who are unfamiliar with the story, Paddington was found sitting in a railway station in London and taken in by the Brown family. Since he was from darkest Peru and, well, a bear, he was quite unfamiliar with the customs and didn't quite fit in. And when it comes to sharing my illustrations, I still feel a bit like Paddington. I've no clue what I'm doing and just love jumping in and trying to figure it out as I go along. So many of my lovely artist friends that I feature here have learned some beautiful techniques and I've made a note that someday I will learn them. In the meantime, each little post is an effort that arrives much like Paddington in the station, waiting there on a suitcase, hoping that a passerby might stop, take a second glance. And if they just bend down to look closer, they would notice a small and unassuming note that simply reads, Please look after this bear. Thank you. Saturday Mornings with Scooby-Doo One of the greatest joys as a kid was watching cartoons on television. They brought a colorful world of fun and humor that always had me mesmerized. Thinking about cartoons, my mind immediately leaps to my favorite cartoon of all time, which is Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Or, of course, simply Scooby-Doo, as that's all we called it back then. The show actually aired for only two seasons just before I was born, but returned in the late 70s for another 16 episodes. These were actually marketed under a different name, but are still often referred to as the third season of the show. It featured a cast of teens driving a cool van dubbed Mystery Machine named Fred Jones, Velma Dinkley, Daphne Blake, and Norval Shaggy Rogers. But the star and namesake of the show was a snack-loving Great Dane named Scooby-Doo. They would band together to solve a mystery involving supernatural creatures that turned out to be some ordinary person unmasked in the final scene. Usually old Mr. Something or Other. It was great fun and I remember thinking I wanted to grow up to write mysteries. This never quite happened, but my imagination of it happening at the time almost feels like it did. Actually, the first book I ever wrote was a bit of a mystery, so perhaps that childhood dream did come true after all. It was a ridiculous show in hindsight, filled with more sight gags than anything substantial, but it was spooky fun and I really loved it as a kid. As an adult, I remember being on a train heading back to Madrid from the southern coast of Spain. They were playing the live-action version of Scooby-Doo dubbed entirely in Spanish. Though my French is wretched, my Spanish is far better, so it was rather fun to watch. The memories it brought back to me were not simply of the show itself, but the entire moment of being a kid again. 
the feeling that all I had to deal with was that week's homework and then I could relax and enjoy a morning filled with colorful cartoons. Looking back through so much of that time I simply took for granted. My life now consists of way more things on my to-do list, and my cartoons on Saturday mornings have been reduced to only one hour. And yes, I still watch them. You can still grow up without ever really growing old. Each year as I grow older, I feel like I'm still that little boy ready to solve a mystery. I hope that feeling never goes away. In many ways, it's what keeps me going and motivated to try the next thing, whatever that might be. I think maintaining a steady curiosity in life is key to making life joyful. The moment I ever think I've figured out all of its mysteries is the very moment I should probably check it all in and give up. The world is perfectly mysterious to me to this day. As much as I've learned or think I've learned about life, there is always something new that catches me off guard. The new thing is the shiniest and coolest thing of all. I love learning new things and discovering the world I thought I knew like it was the first time. I don't seek mastery in anything that I do as I think it feels like a conclusion. When I love something, I don't ever want it to end. I hope it will simply continue on and morph slowly, letting each moment pass just as it should, like those amazing and thrilling moments I spend on Saturday mornings with Scooby-Doo. One day, a butterfly. Sometimes nature is truly ingenious, and perhaps one of my favorite examples was a little monarch caterpillar I sketched once. It's amazing to think a caterpillar like this one will one day do the impossible and transform into a lovely monarch butterfly. Milkweeds are the only plant where monarchs will lay their eggs, as it's the only plant a caterpillar like this one can eat. After munching ravenously for 10 to 14 days, it forms a chrysalis, undergoes a truly radical transformation of its bodily tissues, and two weeks later, a beautiful butterfly emerges. To change from something rather like a worm into something with intricate stained glass wings capable of flight seems almost inconceivable. To me, the butterfly is living proof that anything is indeed possible. Since I was a child, I've always found them fascinating and they've always been a symbol of hope for me. The very idea that such radical change is possible for them means, in some leap of logic, that even my craziest dreams might have a chance to flourish and take flight. I'm not, of course, a caterpillar, nor do I think I was one in a past life, but some days I certainly do feel like one, inching along ever so slowly, struggling to do the things I wish I could do but lack the necessary skills or time, and hoping that one day something will change for the better. As I ride in pain each day, I see progress only from a bird's eye view, a view of everything I've done since I started. There's definitely progress there to be sure, but individual days are often hit and miss. On some days, the image I create is less than I'd hoped and completely different from the far more impressive illustration I had imagined in my mind. On others, I'm rather surprised by what comes out and it's better than what I thought it could be. But each day, I approach these posts with the same hope and enthusiasm, even on days when I only have 30 minutes to make it all happen. This is something that I've done my whole life. 
I definitely get discouraged along the way, but I never let that stop me from eagerly trying again and again and again. Years ago, my father and I chatted briefly on the phone. This in itself was memorable as it rarely happened. We didn't have a typical close relationship and conversations never really came easy. I mentioned at the time wanting to be a writer and thought he'd just move on to the next bit of conversation, not bothering to feign an interest. But what came next surprised me. He said, if it's something you really want to do, then you can do it. You can do anything at all if it's important enough to you. Those were exactly the words I needed to hear and words I still hear in my head today when life gets challenging. Just a few weeks after that call, my father unexpectedly passed away, so these would be the last words I ever heard him speak. This is why I still use do as my simple motto to this day, and why even though it can often seem like my dreams are inching along slowly, I know in my heart that all those truly important ones will eventually come true. After all, what seems like only a caterpillar in this moment is, one day, a butterfly. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories.